Good morning everyone, my name is Julie and we're reading from Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. That's Philippians chapter 1, 1 to 11. You might like to get that up or read it along with me on the screen behind. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So it was really normal for him to get up early, because watching the soccer from Adelaide meant you had to set the alarm to see the live games. The paid subscription uh, and the big screen was the closest he could get to the dream of watching them play in real life. And earlier in the week came really close to that. Overtime, a shootout, and then the euphoria of securing a place in the World Cup was pure joy. She made the news this week. It was a moment that had been 18 months in the making. The borders opened up and you could see her arms waving high in the air as her daughter walked off the plane. Tears filled her eyes. She hugged so tight that her jaw hurt from smiling even. He'd seen them online, the Nike Air Jordan 1 retros, white, red, black and beautiful. They were just dripping with awesome. Almost $400. How would he ever convince his parents to buy them? He had to find a way. They dominated his thinking for weeks and weeks. The meatpacking district in New York is certainly not a pretty place by any means, but thanks to one million flowers recently installed, people began flocking for selfies and smiles on their faces. The joy of seeing this on the normally drab walk to work gave her something to smile about to face the daily grind once again. And it did just seem foolish on one hand to pay $70 for a piece of meat. But this wasn't just any steak. Wagyu, ribeye, dry aged for 45 days. He knew he would never again taste a piece of meat this quality. He didn't care what it cost. This was the one and only time and nothing would keep him from eating it. And it was almost a spiritual experience too. All these people are deeply invested in joy, aren't they? 
It makes sense. I mean, God has made us for joy. Our world is full of it. God has wired us to take it in to experience his awesome creation in lots and lots of different ways. Jonathan Edwards was a pastor and theologian, and he said this about joy in our world, that the whole world is like God's gallery displaying God's magnificent works of art. Everything around us is telling us about God. The Psalms declare in Psalm 1611, you reveal the path of life, in your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. I mean, God's creation is a channel to keep going to find the joy of God himself. That's what we see. Yet the tricky thing is in life, as I'm sure you can relate to, as we saw in the book of Numbers the last few weeks, is living between this already of our salvation, the not yet of being with Jesus with a future inheritance. Life now gives frustration, joy, uh, frustration, suffering, pain, and a lack of joy so often, doesn't it? I mean, we, we feel this really acutely at the moment as we look around our world, how exhausting life is, how stressful it is. And so those of us here today who are hungry for joy, exhausted from a hard and draining life, who aren't quite satisfied with a pair of shoes or the steak, come with me the next few weeks in the letter of Philippians and let's be refreshed and find joy in Jesus once more. And if you don't know who this Jesus is, and if you're thinking, I've had the steak and I've got the shoes and I'm still feeling empty, then maybe for the first time you would realize that all those things are simply meant to keep pushing you onto something greater and more fulfilling than the flowers. We see this joy dripping from the very first few verses of chapter 1. These first 11 verses today, uh, written by Paul, who's the author, Um, about the joy that he has from these Christians in Philippi, which is the city the church is in, because they've partnered with him in the gospel. He sees this partnership as a great sign of their faith in God and asks and prays that God will keep this good work up in them until the day of Jesus. Joy from being in Christ, joy from partnering with gospel work, and joy in the relationships they have. So let's dig into that. And I pray that you would be encouraged as we see this today as well. So the first five verses ground joy in two important things. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you, in all my prayers of you, for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul is writing with his friend Timothy, and they call themselves servants of Christ Jesus in the very first verse. Servants is actually quite literally slaves, and that's confronting, but it's not the idea of forced labor or abuse. It's a way of saying they've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and wholly belong to him. To call yourself a slave or even a servant is a constant reminder of their position of humility, of service to God and the grace of Jesus to them. And, and when, you, when you think of yourself like that, as a follower of Jesus, there's actually great joy in that. It takes the pressure off. 
In a world where we feel the pressure to climb the corporate ladder, to pick subjects defining our future long after school, to live in the shadow of our parents' ambitions and dreams, to perform and have a life that looks a certain way, to say that you're a servant of Jesus simply means you've been chosen by God, a recipient of His grace, the pressure's off to perform and find yourself. Jesus gives you a purpose. Jesus gives you his promise and his peace and his presence and a future, and so you rest in that. That your new boss, so to speak, owns the world and is ruling over your life and you're a servant of him, and that's okay. They're servants of Jesus, and they're saints as well, to all of God's holy people. The most common way of describing a Jesus follower in the New Testament is, in fact, in Christ. Holy ones in Christ. Christian appears three times. And it's really helpful to think of yourself as being in Christ. That is, we live, again, from identity given to us, not for it. You live out who you are in the family, which is so different, isn't it? You know, we work for a promotion and the approval of our boss, so we'll be noticed. We, we um, behave for our friends and our, our partners to love us. But you don't do that with God. You are defined by who you are in Christ, not what you do for him. You're servants of Jesus, you're holy in Jesus, and you're sustained from God's grace to us in Jesus as well. And right at the beginning, that is the place where gospel joy originates from. Who you are in Christ, your position in him, that's where it comes from. But it's not an individual joy. It's a joy we share with others as we partner with God and them to tell about the beauty and the kindness of this God. Because gospel joy in the grace of God extends to this partnership. You see it in verse 5. This partnership began, as Amanda helpfully pointed out, in the all ages, from the moment Paul walked up to the riverbank in Philippi in Acts 16 and spoke to Lydia and said, hey, let me tell you about God's kindness and grace to you. And this businesswoman, a merchant in purple, you know, one of the top 100 influences in Philippi she would have been, believed and gave her life to the Jesus Paul spoke of. From that day, they were partners. It continued till the jail scene happened. And that jailer was about to, to take his own life at one point when Paul explained the kindness to God reaching out to him and the forgiveness that's his. From that day, they partnered in the gospel. And as the church grew after a few weeks, a slave girl joined them, coming to know the power of Jesus to save her from an empty, evil life, to make her a servant of the one true God. From that day and for the next 10 years until this letter was written, they partnered with Paul, prayer, friendship, providing for his needs, even as he writes this letter in prison. Paul is in prison, not because he's been a thief or a nosy person, Rather, as we saw in Acts, he just couldn't stop talking about Jesus and it was confronting and so they arrested him. More so when people were put in prison in Paul's day, they were not normally given food by the guards. There was no kind of human rights laws back then. So they had to rely on food and clothing from their friends. And the Philippian church continued to partner with him in that instance. But it's more than just that. He's not thankful that, oh, thank you for giving me a, a nice loaf of bread and, and a new you know, coat to put on when it's cold. Paul explains in the rest of this chapter, and we'll see next week, that ministry from prison makes the gospel advance, and they're partnering with him in that too. Supplying Paul's needs so he can keep preaching so that most of the Roman soldiers now know that he's in chains for Christ. 
And this church partnered with him because they had the priority of the gospel in the front of their mind. And Paul saw that and experienced it and gave great thanks to God. Again, he's not happy that for them, thank you for providing for my needs. He's filled with joy because this is a marker of what God's doing in them. You see in chapter 4, 17, he says, I'm thrilled to bits that you're so generous. But what's most wonderful about your generosity is that it shows God's at work in you. So I'm praying that that will keep happening. Whether you give me a lot or a little, I don't really care. It's a sign of God's grace. And that's what I love and that's what I can see. He can see the evidence that they are in Christ by how they're acting towards him. And he's thrilled to bits. It doesn't matter what it is they're giving him. They're in Christ. That's the beginning of where their joy originates from. And he can see evidence of that, confident even, that God will keep on growing them in this good work until the day of Jesus. Now, as the letter goes on, the, the phrase, day of Christ, bookends the opening prayer. You notice in verse 6, it says, until the day of Christ. You notice again in verse 10, for the day of Christ. This opening prayer is bookended by those two phrases. His point is that you're in Christ, being formed until the day of Christ, and for the day of Christ. His prayer is that they will be confident that God's at work and live ready and fit for that particular purpose. Until the day of Christ and for the day of Christ frame this. He says in verse 6 to 8, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. The first one. You may have seen the show The Block on TV or heard about it. If you haven't, you're not missing much. Um, but let me tell you the premise. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, invest transforming a dodgy ruined house into something beautiful that makes the judges go wow you're given a budget you're given everything you need and just go and do it and let's see what you can come up with it turns out i've realized uh, we, we saw it last week we were away in handorf and um we, we didn't have any streaming services it was horrible so this came up on the normal tv and i realized it was a it's a deeply theological show because the blocks producers have realized that that's what God's doing in us. Investing, working, bringing us to completion for a day. Not a judging day where, the, where people go, wow, look at your nice curtains, but for the day of Jesus Christ. And just as the transformed homes on the block give great praise to the contestants who have done it, so too God is completing a good work in us that brings glory and praise to Jesus when the renovations of our heart and mind and body will be seen in light of our full salvation that's to come. The tricky thing about the block, to keep pushing the analogy a bit more, is that sometimes a room is unfinished. Time, money, resources, materials run out, fighting and difficulties get in the way, and it stops their progress. And Paul says, you don't need to fear that with God. God is a starter and a finisher. There will be no unfinished people in God's kingdom. God will not leave you stuck as a work in progress. You will not get into eternity and say, oh dear, I'd never got that sorted out. Yes, life is tricky and hard, but God is still working. And Paul's prayer is that they would have this long range for the day of Christ perspective because he can see evidence of that already through their partnership and love. And he wants them to have confidence that God will continue 
and complete this work in them. And we see that by the idea of this word confidence. It's, it's without a doubt, Jesus will finish his good work in them. You never have to be afraid, maybe he's not, maybe life's too hard and he's thrown off, that's not the case. It can also be understood, this work, as a holy work, which ties in with 1 verse 1. You see, we're holy people, God is doing a holy work in. That's what Paul's saying. It means if you're in Christ, your life is neither pointless or wasted. It's not pointless in its aim because he, he will carry it on until completion. You see, one of the, the really um, interesting things about COVID was that our theology says COVID doesn't surprise God. We had to pivot, didn't we? You've all got stories of how life has been thrown in the air, you've collected the balls and tried to realign them. But God never did that. And in and, and the last two years, as um, different Trinity churches, we've met with, with Paul Harrington and, and he's been reminding us over that time just to relax and look for what God's up to. Because the idea is that it takes the pressure off when you realize that God's actually bringing to completion me and you for the day of Christ. Because our long-range planning is mostly what are we going to have for lunch on Tuesday. But the gospel gives us confidence that God's long-range planning is heading towards a person for a day. In fact, even Paul's own circumstance would not affect that particular view towards them and confidence. You see it in verse 7 to 8. It is right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains, literally in chains, or defending and confirming the gospel... All of you share in God's grace with me. And God can test of how I long for you with the affection of Jesus. Can you see the joy here in this new category that God creates, including joy in seeing God at work in others? I have a friend um, who, uh, when they were at uni some years ago, was serving in the, um, the kids' program at their church. And one of the kids um, gave their life to Jesus, about 10 or 11, and they were thrilled. Jesus saved this 11-year-old. And, and they went to uni and they wanted to share that joy with one of their dear friends. And they, they went to their friend and realized halfway through this conversation, their friend has no idea what they're talking about and actually does not care because they don't know Jesus. And she wanted to share that joy, but she couldn't. She, she, I got stuck. The friend that she actually couldn't share the joy with is now a pastor in Canada and in God's kindness, they got saved. Not through that conversation, but um, it's just a great testimony of how God works in all things. But the prayer cards we have at the front, which some of you have given to me, are a way of sharing our gospel partnership and joy as individuals. We do it as a gathering with gospel-partnered organizations too, Compassion, CMS, Bush Church, the Bible College of South Australia. We want to share what God is doing and partner with him. Because theologically, supporting one another is sharing in God's grace with each other as they go on mission. Many years ago, a man named William Carey was going to go to India at a time when gospel workers were not in India. And a friend, Andrew Fuller, wasn't able to go with him. Andrew wanted to go with William. He could not. William Carey said to Andrew, well, I'll go down if you hold the rope. I'll go down, you hold the rope. The idea was that for the rest of his life, Andrew Fuller would stay in England and hold the rope of support 
for gospel work into a new country. So the question is, who's the gospel worker in this instance? Is it the one who stayed and held the rope or is it the one going down into the, the mine? Both. Both are. That's right. This is Paul and the Philippians. Team, you're as much with me in this prison as I'm talking to the guards because of your partnership in the gospel. You're sharing God's grace because what you're doing helps me do that and you're actually flourishing yourselves. Let's keep it up. Which leads Paul to be very specific in his prayer. Have a look at verse 9 to 11. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more so that in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God. The reason, again, second day of Christ, the reason Paul prays this way is that they will grow in knowledge and love for the day of Christ, bringing to completion until growing in love and knowledge for. The work has begun in verse 6, and now he emphasizes in verse 10 that God's good work that God gives grace for his good work, energizing them so that they can discern what is best in this life. In this context, what is best has a clear focus on what is to come. He prays they would know what is best for the day of Jesus, to make decisions now that abound in love for God and others, a love that grows in knowledge and insight, because you have to know the God you love, and the more you know, the more it increases your love of God so that you can do something in this instance. More they grow in knowledge and love, the more they can discern what is best. Now, many decisions in life are not easy, not clear-cut. And we need knowledge and love and the insight into the character of God to make the best decisions as Jesus follows. Decisions that make you ready for the day of Christ. That's the long-range view. That's how you make decisions. What is best will become clear when you see what is to come the day of Jesus and his return. Therefore, we make, we're people that make decisions on the priority of the gospel. And then he adds a little, little, little conjunction there. And I want you to make decisions so that you'll be pure and blameless. Pure has the idea of not being hidden, like your dirty window at home. You might walk past it for a few weeks and then suddenly realize, oh my goodness, I can see the handprints from the dog and the kids. And you clean it. It's now pure. It's, it's, you can see through it. That's the idea here. And Paul is praying there will be nothing hidden about what you do or why you do it or who you are. Knowledge and insight to truly live as one who is holy, getting ready for the day of Christ. Because as love and knowledge increases, so too Jesus fills us with righteous fruit. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, but here this is something different. The righteousness through Jesus Christ. You see, if what is best does not make us more like Jesus, does not make us righteous like Jesus, it's not the best. If we're not letting the God of all right and holiness and and insight define who we are and how we make decisions, we're not abounding in love and knowledge. You see, the Christian has a framework that says this, I will know and love God more or pursue that. Amen. Then when decisions come my way, I will ask myself, what is best for the sake of the gospel? so that I will not be hidden or false in my motives. But make a decision ready for the joyful day in which I'll be able to praise and glorify God. There's a, a, a very, very old man I know in his 90s, and I think 90s is old, so I can say that. Um, 
And I think you'd agree if you're 70 that you're still a bit young and 90 is a long way to go. He's in his 90s. And he says, I can see Lynn nodding. He, um, he said, I've observed this in my friends. They retire and it's almost like they've forgotten that they're gospel workers. He said, they go off and they become grey nomads and they forget that the gospel is still a priority. And he said, I'm not, I'm not knocking that. He's, he's travelled and done that too. He said, but it just seems like sometimes in life we forget that in new seasons that actually Jesus is still at work in us. And while situations change, the gospel is still the same. And he said, I just want to make sure that I live my last few days on earth making sure the priority of the gospel is there. And so that's why I'm meeting with these people. And that's why I'm doing this. For the sake of the gospel. And yes, I'm slower. And yes, life's harder. And I have to take medication now that it ever used to. And all these things, which you just go through when you get older. But for the sake of the gospel, I'm still making decisions based upon that. And I always thought, after talking to him, you always feel encouraged. This is the kind of guy that he is. And I thought, wow, I hope I'm like that when I'm 90. So in summary, let's put the joy of the gospel at the center of our relationships too. Just as Paul could say and see with the Philippians, you know, I can, I can see this in our gathering too. And I want you to be encouraged today that God has begun something good in you, in your salvation, and he will finish it at the day of Christ. And yes, you'd like it quicker. Yes, I want God to be clearer sometimes too. I want to understand how God is using tragedy and sadness to this end. But as Paul writes, knowing all too well what life from prison is like to be beaten, Acts 16, you know, Paul knows that. He writes as someone who has walked that sort of life too. But the assurance in and through it all is that God is. And we have each other as gospel partners to see glimpses of God at work, to celebrate the joy of what God's doing in each other. So let's pray to that end to know and grow towards the day of Christ, to remind each other God is at work for his glory and encourage each other when we see it. To grow in love and knowledge of God, to live what is best and blameless, to find joy in being in Christ and partnering with the gospel. And yes, enjoy your steak and your new shoes and the flowers and the sport. We find joy in them, of course. Reaching into eternity is the joy of gospel partnerships, of being in Christ, seeing God at work in others for that end. And it fills me with, me with joy to see that in you. I love seeing God work in your lives in all these different ways. I love being your pastor to echo the words that Paul does. As I learned to say this, it is right for me to feel that way about each of you here because I can see a great work Jesus has in you. And it thrills me to bits. It's a wonderful joy to partner with you week by week in the gospel. And I want you to be encouraged in that. So, as you go into your week, may you find joy in who you are in Christ. May you find joy in the partnerships with the gospel of seeing God work in the lives of those around you from from saving someone all the way through to growing in knowledge and love of him. And maybe to that end, maybe over coffee this week, you would, today, sorry, you would just say, how can I pray for you? Think of what Paul says, and then just commit to doing it this week. Damien, how can I pray for you? I'll I'll do it this week. Praying towards the day of Christ that you'll be formed and complete in him. So, let's put the joy of the gospel at the center of our relationships too.
Let's pray and let's sing. Jesus, in Christ, you forgive us and redeem us and make us people being formed into your image. And that work will continue on until you return. Give us confidence in that. Give us joy in what you're doing and people around us to share the joy and the gospel partnership we have. Father, may we know with confidence that we are a work in progress, but a work that you are completing every day. Father, give us the hope on the long-range view that Jesus will return and that until that day, you are our God in all things for the praise of your glory and grace to us. In your name we pray. Amen.